0: This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country.
1: Welcome to another Sea to Sky Podcast, and we're sitting here with Dwayne Jackson, another council, uh, candidate for Whistler Council. Dwayne, welcome to Sea to Sky Podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to meet. Just like everybody, I have to ask, and it's a little different for you, because most of the people that we've interviewed so far have been first-time candidates, this will be, except for Rob Forsythe, and you're, there, you're in a similar boat as Rob Forsythe that you're on from... Ralph. <laughs> I know a Rob. Sorry, Ralph. I know a Rob Forsythe as well. So I keep doing that. Ralph Forsythe, thank you. From 2011 to 2014 um, was your first term on council, and now you're running again. What's
0: prompting you to run again? I'm still, you know, I still love community, and, and I enjoyed being on council in 2011.
1: Once again, sitting in front of
0: lens, and we, we
1: almost saw the obligatory mountain bike wipeout as uh, Dwayne was getting started here. <laughs> okay, Duane, go ahead. Take, take so two. so, yeah. so
0: uh, 2011 was a, was a great experience for me. I was on an awesome council, and we were all new, so it was a good introduction to the business of council, and at the end of that term, I, I felt we'd done a lot and uh, took a break from it. And things have worked out that I can consider doing it again and there's a lot of things uh, that the community's struggling with and some of the things that I've got a lot of experience on are housing and finance and so you know I can see having the the time to contribute to resolving or as best we can um, some of these challenges.
1: And I guess one thing that you do have an advantage in is that you know how much being on council entails. A lot of people... They know it's a tough job, but they may not realize how much time uh, that it takes.
0: Yeah, That's true, and it does take a lot more time than I think you know most people realize. And it was certainly took a lot more time when I was on it uh, in 2011 than than I anticipated. And yeah, it's, it uh, you can spend as much time as uh, you can dedicate to it. And in fact, it's you know easily considered a full-term, jo- a full-time job, and um, but not full-time pay. <laughs> Yeah, I think the last time the council entertained the idea of giving, that themselves pay, that. <laughs> giving themselves a pay, themselves a pay rise, um, there was you know a lot of interest in the community. So I don't expect any pay rises in this uh, coming term. Yeah, nothing brings out the the electorate than than, peop- than uh, politicians trying to vote themselves a pay raise. That's yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. Now, when you were last in office, you were dealing with the Olympic hangover from 11 to 14. What do you think's changed in Whistler between then and now?
0: Oh boy! Yeah, so much has changed. Uh, you know, you've got external effects of the economy. Um, you know, clearly tourism globally is uh, has been booming. You know, with the economy, we've been lucky with uh, you know with exchange rates, low interest rates. So Whistler, and and we've been really lucky with weather. So, and a lot of the initiatives that we took in 2011 to 14 to try to drive business have taken off. So, um, yeah, things are all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we've realized that we've sort of hit our capacity, and uh, and that wasn't anticipated to, to happen at such an accelerated pace.
1: Right. Okay. So, with that said, what's next? What, how do we deal with all this? How do we deal with all this growth? How do we
0: deal with the, the struggle for getting employee levels back up to where they need to be? Carefully. I, I think, you know, these aren't easy things to address. And there's no silver bullet. All we can do is is work diligently at at providing whatever support we can and also advocating for the support outside of of what the council can can manage. I mean, we've got educational challenges, which is school district 48. We've got mental health challenges, which is regional health. Uh, We've got an aging demographic. So we've got seniors needs that we didn't anticipate a number of terms ago. Uh, we've got you know we've we've got an aging maturing um, community and so i think we've got to start looking at the things that we can do to help balance all our needs right and one of those things and of course as i ask of
1: everybody people are probably getting bored of it by now but i have to ask housing's clearly the hot button issue what are your proposals what are your ideas ideas around housing and alleviating some of the housing
0: crunch i don't have any unique unique ideas i think there are some Innovative things that we can do to complement the initiatives that are already underway Private sector proposals are in the hall and they're going to be considered against all our planning criteria our community values Um, And some of them will be a little more contentious, but there's potential for housing from the private sector Uh, I've got a lot of experience in Checamus and know that the plans underway for the next phase are Uh, well underway, and and, um, I haven't seen them in detail, but I know that the people involved are very experienced, and uh, so I look forward to, if I can get elected, to looking at the details. You know, we also own, the municipality owns additional lands than Chequemus. We own land on Alta Lake Road, we own land at Alpine, we own a works yard. Know, the OCP land swap with Emerald to the bottom of Cadenwood is something that we need to explore. So there are other opportunities, and and of course, different locations have different impacts on transit, on highway. Yeah, traffic.
1: and that that bring that begs that the question: What about density? What what do you, what sort of density do you see? If you know you talk about other uh, municipality lands, if if we
0: did build on them, you know, what sort of density would we be looking at? I think you have to have you know. There's no one planning solution to housing, and and we have because we have lots of demographics that need housing for and have different family needs. So you have young couples or individuals, a lot of small household families, or household. I guess you demographically we call them households. They could be individuals, they could be couples, they could be two people just sharing a, an apartment or a townhouse that aren't related. Um, and then you've got families or couples that. You know, have children then become families and then you've got families that expand and then you eventually got families that their children leave which is kind of where our family's not far away from and then you know then you're you're basically empty nesters and then of course you've got seniors so there's all different types of housing and and they all need different solutions and different locations may suit some of those needs better than others proximity to schools proximity to daycare things like that or in fact you know we we need to consider daycare in a big way
1: but, yeah, we do need to get it, uh, consider daycare. I, I know that's, uh, that's an issue that's been brought up by some of the candidates. But still, in terms of housing, I mean— yeah, we do, we definitely need a mix of housing. However, I mean, would there be single family housing? Would it be mainly uh, apartment condos, or would it be you know mainly townhomes? I mean, what what's, well, it, what's so, something
0: that you you could sort of see? Well, being if, a, uh, take Chequemas Crossing for instance. It's already got a, a full cross section of housing types that are addressing different family needs. So there are duplexes, triplexes. I don't think we'll ever see single family housing. WHA single family housing again. It's just it's just uh, takes too much land and it costs too much. Um, so I think we're looking at you know, sort of townhouses, connected housing, whether it's an apartment building, um, higher density rentals for sure. Uh, but again, it's it has all of that. And whether you go and look at other other sites, I think you've got to look at a range of housing that meets the the waitlist, um, not only for rental but also for ownership. There has to be hope for people that are on the ownership waitlist.
1: Now, getting back to programs like daycare, there, you know some candidates have said that, well, there's a cost in providing daycare, but it also frees up more labor. so we, you know we get a benefit. Of course, it's not the district or it's not the municipality that's benefiting from the labor. that's labor that's going to private. Getting interviewed, this is fun. Dwayne, Dwayne for the, just to note that, that some of Dwayne's admirers have, inter, have, have interrupted our interview here. I, I it? Just,
0: well, this is what you get when you do podcasts oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle of, uh, of right. Whistler Village. How are going to pay for daycare? I'm just going to. I don't know how we're going to pay for daycare. I mean, first, you have to provide the space, which we've got. Uh, well, when got, I say
1: we, I mean, you know, Wisser, would, would there be funding from the municipality? Would
0: there be funding from private interest? Would it be a pooled fund? You know, what, what's an the, option? Well, I think there's lots of options. Uh, you know, whether I don't think it's been part of our direct budget, um, but indirectly, uh, you know, anything you can do to facilitate the affordability of, of daycare or to, to support the employee, you know, the, the daycare employees in terms of wages or, or housing. I mean, if we can't house you know, daycare workers here, that you know certainly makes it harder to attract them. So I think you know it's a combination of solutions, and, and none of it's easy. Um, I think we community services are doing a great job, and maybe there's opportunities there to see how we can not create value that supports the daycare, whether it's the you know the space or the employees, the programs. Um, still, we can advocate for using other forms of income, um, which are sort of hamstrung a little bit at the moment. So, uh, you know, I don't have an answer. I think it's something we need to work as a group uh, and, and very soon, you know, a high priority.
1: Now, speaking of bringing in labor, you're a, you're uh, a Kiwi. Yeah. And it's no secret that a lot of Australians come here to work. <laughs> How can we be sure that you're going to be fair to Australians
0: if uh, <laughs> coming into Whistler? Well, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're all friends, you know. <laughs> Just, that's not what I hear from the Kiwis I've known. <laughs> I've you know, certainly you've got a lot of Australian friends and a lot of Kiwi friends, and uh, at the moment, you know, we've got a lot more British accents around town. So, you know, it's a multicultural society. Well, I think
1: we can all get behind being, being prejudiced towards the uh, the Brits. So, yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll, we'll make common <laughs> cause. If there's any British <coughs> listeners, we're all kidding here. That's a little more. No, in fact,
0: it. I, got a, I had, a, had a great summer with a, a help from, you know, sort of the multi, you know, sort of like the... Um, <laughs> A lot of our ski instructors, we've had, you know, work helping us out this summer, doing some fire thinning and so on, and so we've had all sorts of accents, and it's kind of neat. Uh, you know, everyone's committed to this community, no matter where they come from.
1: Yeah, all kidding aside, that's very true, and and again, to help alleviate the, the labor crunch, I mean, coming into this winter, there are people that are just struggling to find a place, I guess... Really, I don't know what council can even do, but, I mean, what's something that, if you had any solutions, you know, say there was no no obstruction, you know, money no problem, no hurdles whatsoever, if you could wave a magic wand, what's something that you, you could foresee doing to help alleviate the labor crunch? Uh, I don't
0: have a magic wand. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't. And... No. Yeah. and uh you know, I, the, I guess it comes down to housing, really. There's yeah, really no way around it. Yeah, and no, it, it seems that everything's conspiring against us. You know, the, the Tenancy Act uh, isn't encouraging landlords or property owners to rent short term. Um, so I think that's. You know, I think we've got challenges not only the fact of the lack of housing, um, It's trying to use our housing, the existing inventory, uh, effectively. Well, what about Airbnb? Well, I think there's early initiatives underway to try and manage the Airbnb in the private sector. Clearly, the Airbnb, we've got a lot of inventory here that is zoned tourist accommodation. And so, you know, how Airbnb works with them, you know, or other forms of management, you know, the existing forms of, of property management. I think we've got to be a little careful because I know there's a lot of people uh, that live in properties that aren't zoned for long-term resident housing. And so we're... We're lucky, in fact, that that a lot of that inventory is is housing some of our workforce.
1: What about uh, in terms of developing the valley? One thing you mentioned, you mentioned a few... Areas, but one thing that we didn't talk about was Function Junction. There's a lot going down at Function Junction. It's clear. I mean, it was originally supposed to be an industrial park. It's clearly changing. Where Where do you stand on that? What do you see as the changes to Function Junction? Do you Do you want sidewalks? Do you want to see it become more of a mixed-use area, or do you want to keep it more of its original purpose as, a,
0: as an industrial park? I think that you know that horse is out of the barn and. Uh, because of Chequamegon Crossing, and and maybe future phases of Chequamegon Crossing, we'll be able to have some of the retail not retail, but more the restaurant, the service industries there. But still, it's relying a lot on function, and function offers a lot. You know, and, and you know, whether it's recreation for youth or adults, and you know, yoga and. And a lot of the kids' programs. Then you've got, uh, you know, the restaurants, the well, not restaurants, the, the supermarkets, the pubs, the breweries. Yeah, it's they're established. And I think the sidewalk safety for kids, for anyone, uh, summer and winter, is is a challenge. And it's an, and it's it's a plan that's been around a long time. And it's I think it's underway. I see progress yeah. down there at the moment, which is great. I don't see more housing going in other than within some maybe minor redevelopment. You know, clearly, we we would be nice to be able to move some of those uses to Mons because it's more central, get some traffic off the highway. But our building boom cycle will change too, so our our needs in future will be a lot more redevelopment than major development. The the industries that are there, hopefully they stay, and we don't push everyone out.
1: Yeah, and you know, speaking of the building boom, that's something we have to be uh, cognizant of because. I mean Whistler, Whistler basically they, we managed to put off the 2008-2009 housing bust pretty much after the Olympics, but it, it was a, it, but it, it did hit Whistler, although not as hard as some other communities, but it did hit Whistler. and, and then again, we start saying, well we, we've got a housing crunch, we've got to build all these units. Um, but if we're on the hook for a40 million dollar bond, uh, and we can't sell anything. We can't rent anything. You know, we're, how fast you see
0: development going apace? Um, yeah, let's um, maybe rephrase that question. Are we, are you talking about when you're talking about housing boom. You're talking about just the the whole community. Uh, yeah, I kind of inter- mi- I, 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 I kind
1: of mix things in there. I mean, yes, private industry is is going to develop. We've got the uh, Checkers Crossing. But, but then again, I mean, even though it's employee housing, there's still, go, you know, the demand is still going to be somewhat based on market. If, if employees don't come here and they don't want to buy into the WHA, that that may take us down a bit. Uh,
0: well, I mean, we, we think about the post-Olympics in two thousand eleven and twelve, when we pretty much blew through the waitlist, and there were certainly people on the waitlist that had very specific needs or desires, yeah. and we haven't built much since. I mean, it's great that the WHA built rental product, we haven't built a lot of for sale. Housing for the waitlist, and the waitlist is is very difficult to move through because every once they're you know they're in and people are happy and they're you know they're they're stable in the community. It's great. I mean, they you know they they really haven't got. So even if to there's a
1: a, a a downturn in demand in market demand for residents, you see that well, if anything, that might be a blessing to employee housing because we might clear
0: out the some of the waitlist. Uh, yeah, the, you know, the, in 2011, I think the, need, the WHA needs assessment said we had you know, approximately 11,000 employees and which we housed you know, 75%. And then in the last year, it said we had, you know, potentially 16,000 and a good part of the businesses uh, were understaffed, which means if there was another 800, that means we we're 16,000, you know, maybe close to 17,000 terms of demand we haven't added a lot of businesses other than the commercial area at rainbow you know the gas station the supermarket and so on certainly there's been more small businesses start which are you're seeing that in function and and other places in mons uh, whereas you know small businesses get established Um, and as we diversify a little bit but our core our core resort employees clearly are you know more than they used to be, and and I don't know if that's the new normal. I mean, if we peaked out at 16, if, if recessions and bad winters and everything else conspires against us, maybe we're 14,000, which still means we're we're short housing. There is no doubt that we are short housing. So long term, you see, you don't see any. Hurdles on the horizon in terms of
1: debt financing projects like like Checkmate Crossing. You feel that the demand is always going to be sufficient to to fund the uh, the long term debt on a, debt on a project like that. Some some other
0: uh, candidates have brought that up, but well, it depends. I mean, debt. You know, if the WHA builds a rental building, it, it will have debt, and, and it will have rental. But income. the rents will be paying the mortgage. Correct. Right. Yeah, and and I think that's responsible development. Is. Uh, you know, I think you can build within your means, and you know, you've got to anticipate interest rate, you know, increases in the future, and no different than banks doing stress testing on first mortgages. I think that if we do any for sale housing, that's you know the, the biggest part is bridging the gap between the cost to build it and the cost that people can afford to pay for it. Uh, so I, I think you know those are the sort of challenges that we you know we've solved before, whether it's with direct subsidies or with creative. You know, sort of using zoning to create value that helps subsidize the infrastructure costs. So we're going to have to look at all of those solutions. Okay, and then
1: the second part of that question: uh, private developers and growth for market housing. Do you, are, do you want to put the brakes on that? I mean, where where do you see the happy medium in allowing more private
0: development? Uh, I don't, you know, I'm a developer. I don't think we really need any more private sector development because we've got. You know, a lot of our inventory is beyond its practical use. I mean, you know, whether it's single-family homes, there's still a lot of... We don't have a lot of duplexes here, which is unfortunate because it's a you know, more efficient land use. And the people are, there's discussion about infill housing to try and drive affordability, but the, the single-family land prices are so high that uh, it's never going to be affordable. But we have got a lot of aging inventory, so there's going to be, you know, there's infinite redevelopment. What about rezoning
1: single-family lots? To... As you say, single-family lots are so expensive. A lot of these people, they're going to buy, they're going to buy a gothic A-frame in in Alpine, and they might might want to put in four t- townhomes, or they might want to put in a duplex or a
0: triplex instead of a single-family home. There's a much, you know, the more complicated uh, sort of discussion because it affects the neighborhoods, the fixed, yeah, yeah. and you know, a lot of our terrain isn't really suitable to that, and you know, the challenges that we already have in the existing neighborhoods of too many vehicles and parking. So even the concept of allowing suites, which is great, you know, we can add a second suite still has a parking consequence. And as much as we would like to hope people don't have vehicles and they use the buses, obviously bus routes are, are critical. And maybe we'll get there. I mean, um, you know, as, as you make things more accessible, maybe vehicles, depending on what type of employees are occupying the suite, what their needs are. Um, has an impact on transit
1: yeah and i'm glad you brought up transit because that that's my next question what can we do to improve transit
0: uh i mean where do you stand for instance on a commuter bus i I mean it's it's part of the solution it's it's, you know all forms of transit regional you know sea to sky connecting our neighbor neighboring communities is you know has when it's worked has been has been awesome and then you know it's We've lost service, so I think you know there's funding coming, and there's a lot of discussion about expanded service. I think that's really good. Uh, we're going to have to think about it, uh, you know, how we pay for it. Uh, you know, I hope we can get a bit of support provincially.
1: Now, here's a question, and I've asked some of the other p- candidates this. I haven't, I, I haven't asked everyone, and I've been reticent to ask because. It's an allegation that was brought up at one of the uh, all-candidates meetings that there's a slate and that you're part of the slate. And, and for my listeners, I should say that there's, this is, there is no evidence of this. This is entirely an allegation. But because it's brought up, I, I, I do want to touch on that, since you, you've, been,
0: you've been accused of being one of the people in, in uh, this so-called slate. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in 2011, Roger McCarthy and I, you know, went down and met the peak and said, you know, we're going to we're going to run for council together. There's two of us, you know. And was that a slate? No, it's just two people that have, you know, had a had an opportunity to run for council, and we saw it as a, a you know, more successful campaign to be two people that, that know each other and have diversified skills and can work together, than. Uh, than a complete unknown, uh, you know, council. And we were really lucky at that time. We supported a number of other councillors. Um, campaigning on your own is a really tiring, tiring exercise. And so we found that um, hosting events where two or three candidates, sometimes four candidates, could meet a group of people was better for everybody. So it was more efficient in terms of time because we could you know, get to meet each other's networks and it might be industries. And as in t- 2011, it turned out. We had a very diversified council who really had some overlap in skills, but very distinct careers, and it was a really effective council because we brought all that diversified experience in this election. You know, I, I obviously have uh, been on council with Jack and John uh, previously, and we've worked well together. So, you know, I definitely support you know the, their efforts to return to council, and obviously, Jack. Have an easier run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: running for mayor. Boom, you're mayor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I think a few other, you know. It's a lot, uh, different, down, a lot different
1: down in Squamish. If you, you, you want to see a blood sport, go look at Merrill's race down in Squamish. Yeah, you know,
0: I think, you know, having a Merrill race sort of adds to, you know, the the interest in the election. So not having a Merrill race, you know, may have dampened the, you know, enthusiasm for a lot more debate out there. You know, Arthur Deong, we're, you know, we share a cabin. He's a good friend of mine. And, and I just think his skills are indispensable on council. So I, I absolutely 100% support Arthur's... Uh,
1: wait, wait, you might we had municipal services driving by right as you were expressing they they're service. all working hard it's, Yeah, it's we, great we see your tax dollars at work so, say that again about arthur oh no, I, I, no
0: I you know i think you know, arthur's done a lot for this community and i think he'd be an excellent councilor so when you enter- you know when you're entertaining running for council it's nice to support the people that especially since i've been there that you know their skill set you know their personalities would make them good councilors and, and you know be really effective for the community so no, there's not a slate, but there are people that that I you know, encourage people to vote for because I think they'll be excellent candidates.
1: Yeah, as you say, we, we need to have consensus. And I think that, you know, going back to 2005, I, I actually remember, I mean, how long uh, the rainbow development dragged along. Nothing got done for, for a few years there or took
0: it, it seemed to take an inordinate amount of time for things to get done. Uh, well, I wasn't around for the other, in 2005 I was on the Housing Authority, and in uh, 2005 I was on the WDC, so we were working away on planning for Chickamas Crossing.
1: Yeah, but okay, now if you are elected, whether you're elected or not, I'll, I'll ask this question, since, since the Olympics, let's use that as a jumping off point, yeah. what are some of the things that you think Whistler's done right, and what's something that if you could do over, you, you, you might want to give it a do over?
0: So many things have been done right. So many things we've been very lucky with. Uh, but I, you know, I think after the Olympics, embracing the fact that it was such an amazing event and that it gave us a lot of exposure, and working off that exposure, leveraging that exposure to develop our summer business using the RMI funds to attract uh, you know, sort of groups to come and host events here, and and diversify exposure has been great. Um, we've been lucky with the weather, and and I think the investment not only that we've made uh, in in village improvements, whether a celebration plaza or upgrading the village so that it's it can compete uh, with the investments in all the other resorts, has um, all been good. I mean, building housing was great; uh, that we were able to use the Olympic opportunity to build the housing. It, it'd be nice to think that we have more independent ability to decide where we use the other forms of funding, you know, whether it's hotel tax or RMI, because putting it all into bricks and mortar is is. Uh, fine as long as you need it but it's quite often we I think the taxpayer still subsidizes the resort you know the resort experience so being able to use some of that capital to help the community uh, get the amenities it needs as we yeah. as we grow um, so I don't think it's a you know I'm, I'm not saying that what we we'll, it's been bad. It's been great. We've been able to use that money, and the province has supported us. I think how we could do it slightly differently going forward is thinking about how we can create amenities that not only for a resort first, but also for a community. Well, what would be some amenities that you'd like to see? Well, I think you know the community services and their needs. It's been great. We've been able to support them with their building because they provide an indispensable service to to employees and and to families. Um, You know, our medical uh, centre is, uh, you know, is is limited, you know, and that's obviously a regional health issue, but we don't have the levels of service and the hours of service that we need, and so if we could somehow expand that facility to provide more services, uh, more care. Uh, Recreation, you know, Meadow Park was the last major uh, investment in terms of recreational amenities, other than it's good to see we've got a new soccer field. Uh, but all those facilities, because we've grown and we've got a lot more kids, they're under pressure. So seniors uh, need a place to meet, and I think that's, that's valid. And so, you know, the libraries needs expansion. It's, you know, it's under pressure all the time. Uh, so looking at those sort of community spaces that we can build in, a, you know, in, in an eye to, you know, sort of good long-term planning is uh, something we should be thinking about.
1: Okay, well, uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap this up, Dwayne. Thanks so much for sitting down with us. And, and again, for the record, Dwayne is not at all
0: opposed to Australians, <laughs> despite being from, from New Zealand. Well, and, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking the time and, and for doing this. It's awesome. Appreciate and
1: uh, like everyone, I, I wish you luck on October 20th. And want to remind listeners, get out and vote October 20th or you have nothing to complain about. And this has been C Sky Podcast.
0: This is the Sea to Sky Podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.